Wonderful. Thank you, Jason and team. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you. So delighted you're here this morning. And there are some that maybe haven't been to the building for a while. Welcome back. It's lovely to see you. And uh, those who are with us the first time, and those who've been coming for months, lovely to see you. And those who've been coming for years, really great to see you today. Ah, so much going on in there. Is your head bamboozled with information? It's all good stuff and trying to filter out what's pertinent and right for you. But I pray now that as we come to God's word, I believe that God wants to do something in your life today. And I believe it's a really precious appointment time that the Lord has set for you. And I pray that as we just glean from God's word, which is not just another book, it's not even just the bestseller around the world, it's living. It's like the testament of God that he's breathed into this through multiple authors that he has editorially overseen and produced in this words that bring life, that set free, that bring wisdom and direction. And I pray that as we look at his word this morning, that it will be the breath of God that you understand breathing life into your very being. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the celebrations. Thank you for the joy that's in this room. Thank you for the promises of victory and hope and life and resurrection. But we still our hearts now. And we remind ourselves that your word says that my sheep hear my voice. And regularly, Jesus would say these words to the onlookers. He or she who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. It's possible for us to pick up the sound but not hear the truth. And I pray this afternoon that we will not just hear the sound, but we will have a revelation of the truth. Anoint our ears to hear and our eyes to see, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I slept in a tent the night before last. It's a little, called a two-man tent, but the only way you could fit two people in it if you slept on your side. So uh, I was on my own in this little tent along with a bunch of other tents where our men, quite a number of our men, went away for a weekend. And a lot of the weekend, we sat around a campfire just sharing stories of miracles, stories of the grace of God, opening up our hearts about some of our weaknesses and vulnerabilities, and finding comfort and strength in being the community of God to get alongside each other and to be the healing hands and feet of Jesus. They say that guys don't like to talk, really, or they find it difficult, but we didn't have any problem this weekend, guys, did we? How ironic. <laughs> it's because they've lost their voices because they didn't shut up all weekend. That's why they're not answering it. We had such a beautiful time. And it reminded me that we are meant to do life together. We're not meant to be alone. And we're delighted, whatever way you can join with us, those online, those in the room. But we are meant to be 
in relationships that are godly, edifying, encouraging, healing, able to be able to respond to the move of the Spirit in each other's lives. And I think one of the challenges over the last year and a half is that we've probably all got a bit more used to how to handle life without that sense of community. And um, some have found that to be easier than others. But I want to exhort you and encourage you that you were destined to be a part of community. You're destined to belong. You're destined to be a part of people in relationship together, committing to one another, to sharpen each other's lives, to be like Christ. An illustration I sometimes use is that I've never been very good at football, really, but sometimes people, they practice with football in the garden, don't they? Maybe in the backyard, and they do keepy-uppies, and they kick the ball against the wall, and they imagine the moment that their backyard could be Wembley Stadium, and they score the winning goal, and they run around the yard. There's no one else to watch them, but their hands are in the air cheering that they've just scored in front of 80,000 people. And they got lots of skill, lots of abilities. And I, I know that it's possible as a follower of Jesus to get teaching at home, to read God's word at home on your own, to pray on your own. But I want you to know that just in the same way the footballers are meant to be in teams, that you and I are meant to be in teams. And we score real goals, proper goals when we're together. And I want to encourage you, the family of God, the people of God, that we are together the bride of Christ. And we're going to look in just a moment how God is building his church. And the theme that we started last week is a snapshot of our vision as a church. Our vision says this, revealing the glory of God to the southwest and beyond. We believe that we are called to be a regional church, not just a city church. We're called to be a resourcing church that blesses and empowers others. When new churches have moved into the city, we've made it our goal that we would welcome them the best. And it was lovely. A new church started a few years ago in the city, and their minister told another minister recently, do you know what? Rediscover gave us the best welcome in the city. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes new churches start, and people, you know, go and join other churches. And, uh, and it's always sad to say goodbye to people because we're relationally involved. But we're not saying goodbye from the church. It's just from this fellowship. Yeah. And we send them. And there's a number of people joined a, a lovely new church that's out um, in Tedburn, St. Mary, it started out in a rural community, and some people in our church lived in that area and had a real vision for that area for years, and so they've joined that church, and it was beautiful. A couple of weeks ago, Des just had an opportunity in gathering the worship team, and some of them were in the worship team, been really key parts of the worship team for years, and we sent them out really well and prayed for them and, and loved on them and released them into the new chapter of their life, and and if that feels a bit strange, we have to get used to it because we're for the church, not this church. We're for the kingdom, not our kingdom. And it's really, really important that we give ourselves to extending the kingdom of God. And we want to be a part of all that he's doing across the face of the earth. And um, I'm so privileged that God has, I believe, called us not just to minister to a zone of the city, 
but to be people that have a largeness of spirit to minister to a region and the area. And why do we use the word revealing the glory? I'm not going to talk about the Southwest necessarily, but I am going to talk further on from my introduction last week. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to catch up online later because it does tie in very much to today. But there's a key verse in Habakkuk 2, verse 14. And it says, For as the waters fill the sea, and that's an obvious image that we know the seas are full of water, it says, The earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. That there's a time coming when there will be no disputing across the face of the earth of God's power, magnificence, wonder, and awe. God has promised that will happen. But this term glory, it's a term that's used very much throughout the scriptures. Sometimes, depending on what translation you have, it might refer to presence or awesome presence. But I'm going to take you to a few verses in 2 Chronicles 7. And it's a moment when King Solomon, who was the son of King David, King David had it in his heart to build God a home, a temple. Up until that point, the presence or the glory of God had resided in an ark of a covenant, not the one that Noah took all the animals on, a small box that had been designed in a certain way and it had some items in there like the tablets where the Ten Commandments had been and the manna from the wilderness and it had some significance about it that God, that was, that was representative of God's presence on earth. Of course, God cannot fit into a box. You know that, don't you? God cannot fit into a temple or a building or even a community. God is bigger than the world can contain. But God in his grace chose that he would reside in that place. And then Moses made a tent for that box for the Ark of the Covenant to live. But David said, it's not right that I live in a palace and God lives in a tent, in a box. So he made a design in his heart, sought the permission of God, said, God, can I build you a home? And God, in his reply, and me give a paraphrase, said, I'm too big to live in a home. You could never build anything extravagant or wonderful enough for my home. But David wanted in his heart to do this out of a place of worship. So God said, I will, I will give you permission, David, to have the plans about building a place where I will live. But by the way, David, you won't build it. You'll plan it. You'll prepare for it. But it's your son that will build it. And now we're on to his son, Solomon, King Solomon. And 2 Chronicles 7, first four verses, says this. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burnt offerings and sacrifices and the glorious presence, or the glory, of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence, or the glory of the Lord, filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence, or the glory, of the Lord filling the temple, they fell down, face down on the ground, and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. What a moment of two generations 
preparing for this. Like it was a magnificent place. It was lined with gold. It had been constructed under the guidance of God. The plans were intricate and they were detailed. There was all sorts of imagery. There were all sorts of ways that it reveals something about the nature and the invitation of God into his presence. But this was the moment that now we might, in today's culture, say this is the ribbon-cutting moment. This was the champagne-launching moment. This was the start of why this was built. And as Solomon prayed, fire came from heaven to such a degree that those who had prepared themselves to serve God in this building, in this temple, were unable to enter and were even unable to stand. When the glory of God is honored and revered, we see the power of God released. The glory of God was revered in the temple, and whenever it was revered in the temple, whenever it was understood that this, above everything else in our nation, is the greatest priority of making sure that we honor God among us, that there were some benefits for the entire nation. We read that God protected the nation from the surrounding enemies. He allowed them to live in peace and in victory over those who would seek to do them harm. That there was greater blessing upon their work of their hands. There was fruitfulness in the agriculture. There was joy in the community. And there was also wisdom beyond the knowledge that they had accumulated because they consulted the Lord in the matters of their life and governance. But when God wasn't honored, the glory of the Lord departed from the temple, and the nation, as a result, experienced the loss of protection. See, it's not that God wants to punish people who choose to step away from him. It's that we make our independent plans and when we make our independent plans, God's not going to override that. We say we can do it better without you. And so we have to live with the consequences of that. And the nation lost the protections of God. They lost the fruitfulness that they once enjoyed. And the wisdom was, late, was greatly lacking in their community. Let me ask you a question. Is the glory of God present in the church today. How would we know if he isn't? Are we attentive to placing God in his rightful place? Are we attentive to the details that honor his presence? Would we even know if the glory of God has departed. Now we're in a different place to the Old Testament in as much as the glory of the Lord was revealed in the Son of God, Jesus, who lived a sinless life and gave his life on the cross so that you and I could know the glory of salvation today. We're also living in a time when the Holy Spirit has been promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. 
But let's think about this for a moment. What does it look different? How does it look different when the glory of God is present in our gathered worship and when he's not present in our gathered worship? Could our programs run without him? I've learned over the years probably lots of techniques in ministry. And so have you if you've been traveling the road of following Jesus for a while. You know how to fake it, don't you? It's not a trick question. How many times have you maybe lifted your hands in worship but had your mind on something else other than the Lord? How many times have you prayed bold prayers but had no faith? How many times have you rushed into church late on a Sunday into our gathering? Of course, church is not what we do. Church is who we are. But when we gather, we come to do church together. How many of you have come with no expectation in your heart that you are about to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What does it look like to do church without the glory of God? Paul, the Apostle Paul, was concerned that the church knows its power source. In Ephesians 3, verses 14 onwards, it says this, and this is Paul writing to this church that he loves. It says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and will keep you strong. And may you have power to understand as all God's people should. You see his emphasis on should? That you may have power to understand as all God's people should understand how wide, how long, and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, though it's too great to put in a box, though it's too great to locate in a temple, may you understand it fully. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Hallelujah. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Glory to him in the church through all generations. Our number one priority as a church is not to put on wonderful programs or to have nice buildings 
to make chairs comfortable, to make services snappy, to run wonderful kids' work, to run wonderful student ministry, to run great worship teams. Our number one priority as a church is to welcome and honor the glory of God. And the earth is being covered with an awareness of the glory of God, just like the water fills the sea. The church is Jesus' church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Did you know that today, that the born-again rate in the world is higher than the birth rate? Did you know that the percentage of those who are following Jesus is higher each day? Because more people are giving their lives to Christ than are being born in the natural. That's happening in our day today. Did you know that in the last 100 years, the church across the world has tripled in number? Did you know that God is building his church But of course, that growth as part of Jesus' church, that we celebrate that news, is growing significantly in Asia. It's growing significantly in Africa. It's growing significantly in South America. But in Western countries, in America, Oceania, Europe, the UK, the born-again rate is almost stagnant. Now, we're part of a global church, so that doesn't stop us celebrating the advancement of the kingdom and the purposes of God. We still celebrate that the church is alive and well in Afghanistan. The church is buzzing in China The church is rampant in Malaysia. The church is growing across the continent of Africa. That the South Americas, Brazil, the gospel is advancing like a wildfire. God is at work. But I wonder, I wonder if in the West we need to put away some of our strategies And we need to come back to his presence, to the glory of God. The West, Europe, the UK, and the Southwest needs the Lord. And the Southwest doesn't need another church. The Southwest needs a glory-filled church. It needs a people that are full of the demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God among us. It needs a people that have learned not just to translate their faith into an intellectual understanding, but have allowed you to sink to their heart and work its way out through their hands and their feet and their lifestyle. 1 Corinthians 6, in verse 19, it says these words. Don't you realize that your body 
is a temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God. Do you not belong to yourself? You do not belong to yourself. Today, there is no one going to receive a mandate from God to build a new Solomon's temple because you are it. Because you and I have been chosen as the habitation of God. Because your life is a temple. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And the temple of God is not meant to be an annex to our lives or a conservatory that sits on the side of our other activity. Our whole life is meant to be a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells and lives. There's a very distressing story in the Old Testament prior to the temple that Solomon had built. Some years previous, before even King Saul came to the throne. And there was a priest whose name was Eli. And he had some sons who were also serving as priests before the Lord. The spirituality of the nation and the priesthood had become corrupt. Eli's sons treated the Ark of the Covenant that lived in this tent, they treated it like some form of lucky charm. They didn't have an honor for it. It was just like one of those superstitious things that people do. Sometimes you see sports people, they touch the grass before they run into the field, or they kiss the, the, um, the, 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 the crucifix that they're wearing around their neck, or they might do a sign of the cross. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean they surrender. It just, it's like, if I do this, I might do well. It's a superstition. It's not in the God behind the cross. It's in the superstition of making the sign. And they were superstitious. And the Ark of the Covenant where God had dwelt, they decided that if they go to battle against one of their arch enemies, the Philistines, that if they take the ark, they would definitely win. It was their lucky charm moment. But they were corrupt. The priesthood was corrupt. The nation was corrupt. But they thought, it's okay if we're corrupt as long as we take our lucky charm with us. And so they go into battle they take the Ark of the Covenant and the nation, the Israelites, lose the battle. And the Philistines capture the Ark. Eli's sons were killed and the Ark captured. When Eli, the father, heard this tragic news, he fell backwards, broke his neck, and also died. This was a disaster for this family. And the wife of Eli's son... When she heard that the ark was taken, she was, in, she was pregnant and she went prematurely into labor and she gave birth to a son and as she gave birth to her son, she died, but just before she died, she named the child. You and I might choose to give names that are fashionable names today. I'm called Mark when I was in school. There were six other Marks in my class. My parents didn't give me the name Mark because it had some symbolism or meaning. It was just, 
obviously the popular name to give. But the name that this woman cried out for her son as she was in the last breaths of her life, she called him Ichabod. And Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. And there was a reason for all of this. God's character was no longer mirrored in the character of his people. God has been committed to say, I will be your God and you will be my people. But when that covenantal relationship is broken from us, when we decide that we will not be his reflection, we begin to reflect us, not him. And the glory had left And there was a reason for it. The sons of the priest of Eli had taken what was God's and made it like as if it was theirs. You remember back that verse we read about you are temples of the Spirit, that it's not our lives any longer, but the temples belong to Him. But so often, and I know, I understand in the balance of life, we need our me time, don't we? We need some recuperation time we need some refreshment time we get tired we we need some entertainment we need some activity we need something that brings joy and pleasure to us and I get all of that and God has made us and he loves to delight over us he he rejoices over us he's for us not against us but he we're also his and there's nothing wrong with me time but if your me time is all the time where's the him time And they had taken what was God's, the temple, the ark, and they made it like it was theirs. They also took advantage of the people of God. We hear a lot about abuse of power and the awful consequences when people elevate themselves or elevated through a position or a gift or a talent or a charisma, and they abuse that position. And they'd abuse their position as priests in the community for their own advantage. God doesn't smile over that. And they defiled the temple. I'm glad to say that God didn't forsake his beloved people because God is so faithful. And although the presence of God was now in captivity with the Philistines, of course, no one captures God. God will be held by no man. But they'd taken this symbol of his representation And even though God's people had deserted him, God never deserted his faithful people. When Solomon, many years later, and the ark had returned, and we see that that David rejoiced, Solomon's dad rejoiced in bringing the ark back from the Philistines. And you might remember that scene where the ark wobbles because it was carried on a cart that that was disrespectful to the presence of God. It, it was pragmatic, but it was dishonoring. And so somebody had reached out to steady the ark because it looked like it was going to fall on this dodgy cart. And the person who touched it died because there was a disrespect and a dishonor for the glory and the presence and the power of God. So David, he'd, he was dancing and rejoicing at the presence of God returning, but suddenly one of his people had died through touching it. And he's saying, I don't want it can't take it. Who can live with it? And there was one volunteer, Obededom, 
He said, I'll have it in my house. And Obed-Edom takes the Ark of the Covenant to his home, honors the presence of God. And Obed-Edom's home and his life and his family experience the blessing of the Lord. David eventually says, we're going to bring it back to the city. The glory of the Lord had returned, and years later, here was his son dedicating the temple, and the fire of the Lord came. The glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Church, the Lord longs to fill us with his glory. You don't have to convince him. You don't have to plead with him. It's what he wants to do. Sometimes it's like we open the door with a chain on. Shall we, shall not we? Is he safe, isn't he safe? And God, I believe, wants us to open our hearts, open the doors of our life, and say, my ultimate priority is to be filled with your glory. Just invite you to close your eyes where you are. We're about to encourage you to share communion with us. Maybe Taffy could join me on the stage. You should have been given on your way in a little communion cup. It's got a wafer on the top and juice underneath. If you're at home, you can get any symbol of bread or cracker or juice or wine together. And of course, communion reminds us, just before we take it together, communion reminds us that these temples are made worthy, not by our own work or our own merit, but they made worthy because Jesus has established you as the most beautiful temple of his spirit. Oh, he's delighted to come into the house, to the temple that has been purified and cleansed by the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, but we with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, but we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, as from the Lord the Spirit. I invite you to peel the top layer if you know Jesus is your Savior and take out the wafer and just as we're about to take this to recommit our temples to the Lord we want to be yours we want to be filled with your glory Jesus and on the night Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it this is my body broken for you no longer worship in the outer court but we're able spirit of spirit to come into the holy of holies to worship him thank you Jesus as you take this recommit your temple to the Lord
you take the juice, if you just click the tab down, it just should crack and then you could just peel it back and expose the juice. Lord, we thank you. The blood of Jesus has never lost its power. Thank you that the church of Jesus across the globe has never been bigger. It's never impacted more lives than it is right now. Over two billion people across the planet know the forgiveness and the life of Jesus. And as we take this together, we join with them one church across the world, one family gathered from nations, tribes, and tongues, all being made worthy and holy by the blood of Jesus. So Lord, we thank you. There's no sin that puts you in a position that you can't draw near because Jesus has paid the price. Thank you, there's no chain, there's no habit that's more powerful than your blood. There's no mindset or stronghold that's greater than your blood. And as you take this in a moment, there are, I, I keep experiencing through conversations, through prayer, through words of knowledge and prophecy, I keep experiencing time after time people who still live under a lie of unworthiness and inadequacy. And as you take this, I want to encourage you that it must be broken in the name of Jesus. You are not unworthy. You are not unloved. You are not insignificant. You are not inferior to others. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that lie needs to be broken in the name of Jesus because it's dictating your entire spiritual walk. It thinks you only can ask for a small amount of glory because the real stuff must be for proper people, others who are more spiritual than you. And Jesus says, you're my temple. As we take this, I want you to take it in faith that every lie of the enemy is going to be broken over your life. Every curse, every negative word, every inadequacy, every chain of addiction is going to be broken because His blood is greater. It's more powerful. So when you're ready by faith to believe that His blood breaks the power of all of that cancelled sin, you take it and you rejoice. never given your life to Jesus this morning that can change because Jesus loves you he wants to fill your life with his love his hope and his glory he wants surely goodness and mercy to follow you all the days of your life the Bible says if you will call upon the name of the Lord then you shall be saved if you call upon Jesus say Jesus I need you Jesus, I need you. I can't do this without you. He hears. He responds. And he will rescue you from the mess of your life. 
Is there anyone who wants to call out to Jesus this, this afternoon? Will you just lift your hand if that's you? Say, yeah, I want to call out and receive Jesus. Thank you, madam. Is there anyone else want to receive? You're online. Maybe you just put a message in the chat. Say, I want to call out to Jesus. Father, thank you for this precious lady. God, I thank you that your love surrounds her and embraces her. Thank you, God, that you gave your life for her and you now bring her into your family and there's hope and there's life and there's freedom and there's joy because of your great goodness to us. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. He is faithful from generation to generation and we shall tell of your works, O God. If your cry of your heart is, Lord, I want to receive your glory afresh as we come to the tail end of our gathering together, would you stand? Would you lift your hands to heaven? And as you open your hands, your arms, may it be like the opening of that door and taking the chain off, say, come and live in me, O oh God. Hallelujah. 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 Nita, would you come and sing? Would you just lead us in this song of hallelujah? You don't have to look at the words on the screen. It's one word. Let me tell you the word. It's hallelujah. The tune is so simple. Whether you remember it from years ago or whether it's new, you'll pick it up in moments. Let's not make the emphasis on the singing of a song, but on the connecting, the openness of our hearts to the King of glory.